Exilio, the Tech Growth Podcast. Really enjoyed speaking with Drew Jane on this episode of the Exilio Podcast. Drew gives us his take on the venture ecosystems in Europe versus the US. And I also ask about Bessemer's anti-portfolio, which I found fascinating. Hope you enjoy. So I'm delighted to be joined by Dhruv Jain, uh, investor at, at Bessemer Venture Partners. Dhruv, you're very welcome. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, Rob. Super excited. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit, kind of who you are, the fund you work for, and, and your focus? Yeah, happy to. Um, so my name's Dhruv Jain. I'm an investor at Bessemer Venture Partners. Um, so just a bit about Bessemer, we're a global kind of multi-stage, multi-sector venture capital fund. Uh, the fund actually got started in the early 1900s, if you yeah. believe it or not, so literally over a century ago. Um, and it's, it's actually one of the oldest venture capital funds in the U.S. Um, but, uh, you know, I joined in 2016 and uh, I was originally you know, based in our New York office and spent a lot of time investing in companies really kind of all over the world um, about... A year ago, we noticed that a lot of our exciting portfolio companies were also coming from Europe, and we've we've yeah. been investing in Europe for for several decades, actually. Um, so it, it, I actually kind of made the decision, along with Bessemer, to to move out here to London, um, where I am based right now. And uh, I'd say, you know, where our focus now is really to set up an office here um, to continue to invest in companies. And just to give you some sense, like Bessemer has a three point three billion dollar fund. So we can technically invest at any stage from seed all the way up to growth stage capital, but about 70% of our investments are focused on companies that either have no revenue or are under 5 million of revenue. So a lot of early stage investing, and that's primarily what I focus on. Um, That's what I enjoy doing. And so for entrepreneurs, it really means checks, you know, in the kind of anywhere from kind of the the 5 million sort of 30 or 40 million is, is our sweet spot. And, um, you know, in terms of sectors, we, we've spent a lot of time looking at and investing in software businesses. I mean, Bessemer yeah. has a really strong past with investing in cloud-based companies. And we just continue to think that in Europe, there's going to be a lot more cloud, you know, SaaS companies, whether it's selling, you know, software for enterprises to small businesses, um, you know, software for various different vertical industries like food, manufacturing, transportation, I kind of we're, we're excited about all of them, and um, and so that's kind of my focus here at Bessemer, and uh, yeah, excited to be here. Okay, brilliant. And from my discussions, a lot of um, people working in venture would come from a legal or or financial background. Um, you started in material science engineering, is that right? <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, so <laughs> my uh, when I went to school, actually, I did a in a dual degree program in. Uh, engineering and in business. So I, my engineering undergrad major was in material science engineering, uh, and then I studied business as well. And then, what, what at what stage did you know you wanted to get out of the science and engineering side of things and into finance? Yeah, you know, I like I had, I would actually be um, oftentimes like more interested in the engineering side and the technology side of things. Um, so I wasn't really excited about, you know, finance per se, but uh, I think the the uh, exposure to venture capital and especially like early stage venture capital is mm. pretty exciting um, because it's sort of like in between, you know, it's in between like you have to think about technology, but you also have to think about the business model. Yeah. And so I think um, I had a couple of experiences in college where I worked for a couple of startups during my okay. internships and 
like during that process, I saw VCs come in to like, you know, evaluate our startup. And I thought like, wow, that's like pretty cool that, you know, to yeah. be on the other side of the table would be interesting as well. So I think it was like sort of just kind of spending more time with startups and that kind of got me interested in venture capital. But um, I, I still find more excitement around like the early stage technology than I do around like all of the, you know, financial terms and all that. Okay. Yeah. And is that a, like, what's the split between that, um, like understanding how investments work uh, and all the financial instruments that go in, into a term sheet versus um, actually looking and, and getting excited by the product? Yeah, it's, it, I mean, they, they in some ways are a little bit separate, I guess, because um, like when you're looking at a product, you're really just thinking like, you know, how can this, you know, how can this serve or solve a problem? Um, but when you're looking at all these financial terms and, and metrics, you're really thinking like, how can this make money and make a lot of money, right? And then yeah. ultimately like venture capital investors have to make money for their, their LPs. So we have to, yep. we have to believe this can make a lot of money. And so I think uh, like there's sort of two hats there, right? Cause I think, and they do intersect. Like you want, if you, if you build a really great product, like ideally you will eventually be able to sell it and, and yeah. make a lot of money. But sometimes it's not entirely clear, right? Like you could have a really good product, but just no idea how to sell it. Um, and so we look to try to figure out if there's a way to sort of find an intersection that makes a lot of sense for the company. And so yeah, I, I think they're like, they're sort of different things, but we, we have to evaluate them at the same time. Okay, and what brought you to Bessemer? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's a weird, like, in a weird way, like I, like, as I had mentioned in college, I was more focused on, um, you know, the technical kind of engineering and statistics. And I was actually interviewing for a lot of startups at the time. At, okay. And um, someone mentioned Bessemer to me, they actually were, were presenting a, um, a info session at our university of something that they, you know, used to do before COVID. And yeah. I went to the info session and uh, there was this guy at the info session who was talking about virtual reality. And he spent at the better part of like 20 minutes just like talking about virtual reality, like you've never seen it before. And he was like, guys, this is going to change the world. It's going to be the future. And I was like, I don't really know anything about virtual reality, but that guy seems really pumped up about what he's doing. <laughs> and then I got excited and I sent an application in for an internship and I joined as an intern actually right out of college and okay. ended up, um, yeah, decided to, you know, was lucky to get an offer to stay basically. So that's how I started, yeah, got in. And you, you just saw his excitement and love for what he does and you wanted that. Yeah, I think it was something about the idea of like, you know, coming to a school like Penn where most of the students study at this business school, Wharton, where, you know, most of the jobs are very kind of dull, right? They're like, you know, investment banking or like consulting. So I would yeah. go to all of these info sessions and like, it would be all these people in suits and they'd be like talking about, you know, I don't know. And then like this guy was talking about, you yeah. know, virtual reality and I was like, cool stuff. Like really interesting. Uh, so I, I had no idea what VC was, but I just applied and was able to get an internship with them. So in a way, it was like an, a cool way to sort of explore it before really committing to it. And so we we're working with Matt Shulman um, in Pave. We had him on the the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Is that did you meet him in Wharton, or did that come? Was that totally separate? Yeah. So uh, Matt and I actually have been friends for for a long time, almost almost nine years now. And uh, it's a funny story about how I met Matt. Um, I was connected to Matt 
while I was applying to college and someone okay. said, you should meet this guy, Matt, you know, he's in this program where you can do engineering and business at the same time. Yeah. And I thought like, wow, that's really impressive. Let me, you know, let me talk to him. Matt actually ended up like coaching me a little bit in terms of how to get into that program. Okay. I ended up getting in. And so when I was in college, he was, we were in the same, it was called the M&T program. We were in the same, uh, M you know, management and technology. So we were in yeah. the same program and uh, we just, we, we became friends through that experience. And like, he, he was sort of also in some ways like a mentor to me when I was in school as well. So, uh, you know, that program really was kind of the, the bedrock that brought us together. Yeah. I guess. And for you, do you think to be successful in venture, do you have to have that organic network yourself? Um, and how, or how hard do you have to work at that? Yeah, that's a really um, interesting question. I, I'm not sure. Like, I think what I've seen, what I've seen is like so far, I haven't been in VC that long, but what I've seen is that everyone has a different way of doing it. Like you yeah. know, some people rely on their like Twitter network and they like generate a lot of interesting deals that way. And other people like, hate social media they would never post yeah. anything but they generate you know billions of dollars of returns so it's it's uh it's i think it's just completely up to the individual it's a very like individual thing um and for me like knowing matt actually was was quite interesting because uh, i i mean he had always talked about starting a company but i never really thought that you know like i would be in a position where i could actually help him on that yeah. journey and then actually, you know, just it happened that we could, you know, both myself and Bessemer were, were really excited to work with him. So it was kind of funny to see that someone I had known for like nine years as a friend, like engaging with them in like a business context as well, yeah. which was kind of cool. And you mentioned there that there are different ways to skin a cat as a venture capitalist um, to generate deal flow. But for you, what separates VC firms? I think uh, it all comes down to the individuals making the investments. Okay. Um, so even at a, at a given venture capital firm, you'll have like some partners who specialize in various, you know, investment sectors. And, and what I found is that at every firm, there's like a couple of partners who are really famous for a few specific areas. And like, those are the people, if you're an entrepreneur building a business, you know, and you're, like if you're building an SMB software business, yeah. you want to you want to work with someone who like invested in Shopify, you know, at the at the Series A. And if you're working with you know a consumer business, like you want to invest in someone who invested in like a Facebook or like Pinterest or like. Yeah. So I think the um, more than the firm, it's more about the individual. It is the people. Me. Okay. The people themselves. It's like what what have they done? Like what are they? What what kind of um, how do they work with their portfolio companies? And whenever we like look at other firms, we always ask like who's who's who is the person at the firm who's leading this investment? Like what, what is their track record? What kind of companies have they worked with? What's their reputation? Things like that. So um, I don't, I don't know as much about like judging firms on the outside. I mean, that said, I think like we, there are definitely firms nowadays that specialize in certain things. And so maybe those it's a little easier to kind of understand what they do, but for generalist firms like us, like Bessemer, yeah. where we invest in all types of technology, it, it does come down to the individual, you know, okay. investors. And so as a, a founder, you're, you're looking to seek out those specialist investors. Are you as a VC firm seeking out those specialist investors as well, where, as you said, you're looking to see who's the lead on it. And does that factor into your decision whether to jump on board or not? Not, not as much. I think, um, I think, you know, oftentimes like, 
for us, we just spend a lot of time with the founders. And then if, if we're really excited, we'll, we'll okay. want to invest. Um, and, you know, sometimes it just happens that many of the other people in the industry who we respect and who we work with are also involved with the company. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, cause I guess there's, you know, there's, um, there's like a limited set of really comp- companies that are really exciting. And then, you know, also investors who know about those companies. So you eventually end up seeing the same people pretty often. Um, and whether you're competing with them or you're investing together, you know, maybe you're investing in the next round of the company yeah. they've already invested in. But, um, but yeah, we, we definitely don't like screen companies based off okay. of investors. And one thing that I, I noticed, and what I love about Bessemer on your website is the anti-portfolio um, where yeah. you, you know, you don't shy or hide away from the fact that you maybe made wrong decisions in the past and missed out on, um, on unbelievable returns. It, it, my sense in, in venture was that, you know, everyone kind of wants to be seen as the best and the experts and, and they know everything. And I would have thought it's not something you shout about Then I was wrong here, here and here, or we were yeah. wrong here, here and here. Is that, is that generally the case where uh, VCs are, slow to talk about mistakes say uh, yeah i don't know it's uh i mean i think bessemer was probably the first firm to do that actually yeah. i've seen a couple other firms start to do it now which i think is great by the way I think <laughs> yeah. everyone should do it um yeah. because like ultimately what it it helps us realize and there is this culture at bessemer and i i'm sure other firms too like we, we, we make mistakes, you know, yeah. like we make, we make mistakes. And even the, the smartest people, the best investors I know at Bessemer at other firms, like we make mistakes. And, um, I think like we try to, we hopefully try to instill that culture here at Bessemer where it's like, we don't want to make mistakes. I mean, we, we but we may make them and, yeah. and we're like aware of that. And, uh, it just goes to show you that like this job is a lot of being at the right place at the right time. Like there's a huge amount of luck involved. You know, there's a lot of things that, you have to get right and you have to say yes at the right time. I mean, if you read some of those stories, yeah. it's like passing on Facebook at a lunch line, you know, or something, like, <laughs> yeah. something absurd, right? Like, you know, who would have known that that would have been like a, a massive, you know, cha- you know, multi, multi-billion dollar um, pass, you know, at that yeah. lunch line. So it's just, uh, yeah. But I think the core of it is really like, we, we don't kind of claim that we, we fully know what we do. Like we're always kind of, the way I like to think about it is like, we, we invest in really exciting companies and founders who are usually like a few steps ahead of us, right? Like okay. uh, if, if the VC firm is ahead of the founder, if we're coaching the founder on what to do, yeah. that's a little bit, that's a little bit odd, right? Because we're not, that's not our job. Our job is to, you know, work and support these entrepreneurs, but, but we're not the entrepreneur. So we kind of want to just provide them with everything they need to grow yeah. as fast as they can and really take their guidance. And we'll help if we know some people or we know certain areas of you know expertise or things we've seen in the past. But our model is certainly not to come in and say, you know, here are the you know ten ways we're going to grow this company and yeah. follow our lead, right? And do you yourself have any uh, personal um, anti-portfolio companies? <clears throat> yeah, gosh, like I feel I feel like um, I haven't been. I, I was going to say that I haven't been doing this job long enough to really have one yet. But I, I was thinking about it, and uh, I think I actually do have a couple. Um, maybe there was one company that um, you know we met really early on, maybe at the seed or Series A stage. Uh, you know, it's a data infrastructure company in in the U.S., actually based in Boston, called Starburst Data. Uh, right. and, and we passed 
on the company um, because we weren't sure about you know this new open source tool that they had built and you know basically ever since that ever since we've passed like the company's grown tremendously um the the, the open source tool has grown tremendously i think they just raised the what you know at a 1.2 billion dollar valuation from the Andreessen Horowitz so i i kind of feel like gosh you know that was probably a that was probably a wrong call you know <laughs> we probably should yeah. be at that seed stage but as you said, like you're you're gonna have that, and um, I wanted to ask you about if you've any idea of like what the number of decks that you see in a particular year, and how that shrinks down to the number of investments, and then the uh, kind of potential unicorns or, or whatever that you're trying to get out of those. Have you an idea? Like as a firm, or just me personally? Uh, say you personally, or or a firm. Um, me personally, I, I think like we see, we probably see thousands of companies a year, I would say, you know, I mean like close to a thousand, maybe more a year. And then yeah. out of that, um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a handful of, of companies that we end up, you know, really, you know, engaging with. And to give you some context, like we, you know, we would probably invest maybe three or four or five deals, new deals a year. Uh, okay. you know, between like the folks I work with, like we're, but Bessemer as a whole will, will maybe do sort of 30 to 40 new investments yeah. as well. So, you know, we, we see a lot, but we don't end up in, engaging with a lot of it. And then the ones that we do, like there's such a small rate of that actually turning into a deal. So it's yeah. pretty small. <laughs> yeah. And like, what's your typical day or week in venture? Um, a lot of zoom calls, <laughs> like yeah. a lot of zoom calls. Uh, I, you know, it's all changed with COVID. It used to be a little bit more dynamic. Now it's literally just zoom calls. <laughs> like, like it's, it's like you wake up, you just get on zoom and you, yeah. you go to sleep and that's it. But most of it in terms of what it actually is, I think most of it is really, uh, for me, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, between kind of road mapping, which is this process where we try to come up with or, or think about a thesis in the world and then find all the companies in the world that are doing that thing and okay. talk to all of them at every stage. So even if they're tiny versus, you know, having a hundred employees, we want to know. And because we're Bessemer, we can talk to them and say like, Hey, look, yeah. I'm interested in, and we could, we could technically invest in any of those companies. So, um, and we have a global remit so we can talk to any company in the world. So basically what we do is we come up with like a list or, or a road, we call these a roadmap of like, you know, autonomous vehicles or virtual reality, right? And we say yeah. like, what are the major virtual reality players in the world today? Let's go talk to all of them, figure out if we want to make an investment. And so that's called, that's like the roadmap driven part of this job, which is very thematic. It's like, what are the major themes we're excited about? And then I'd say a certain portion of your job is just dealing with the other stuff that comes in that you're, you know, completely opportunistically, whether so-and-so's friend is starting a company or we get it yeah. referred by a seed investor to a company. So that's more opportunistic. And uh, I try to, I try to strike a balance between the roadmap and opportunistic work. Um, you know, oftentimes it can be challenging to find time to create, come up with those themes and, and create sure. new, new opportunities, but that's the most rewarding part about the job is thinking about ways that technology is going to change the world. Yeah. And then like trying to figure out if there's a company among all of them, and that's actually how we started investing in Europe because what we would we would do this process and we would come across companies in Europe and they would be winning in that in that category and we'd say like let's invest in this company. Um, so it was this roadmap driven approach that brought us to Europe in the first place. 
Okay, and so there's definitely a systematic form of increasing deal flow, but also the opportunistic side as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you spend a lot of time just uh, the day to day is just a lot of uh, kind of talking to entrepreneurs, meeting them, and then also keeping in touch with, with, you know, various experts and people who are, uh, who are in your network, just to kind of hear what's happening. I guess like VCs always want to know what's going on. And so I, I spend a lot of time just making sure that we're, we're, um, we know what's going on, you know, in Europe, in London and, and other places. And obviously if you had have known COVID was going to happen, uh, Zoom would be on your portfolio list and not your anti-portfolio list. So we did invest in Zoom actually, but we invested like right before, I think we invested pre-IPO, like right Okay. So, so it is sort of, it is, it is both an anti-portfolio and a portfolio company. <laughs> Um, you know, we made like the very, you know, modest sum on their, 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 their pop and their IPO. But I mean, we, we definitely, uh, we should have invested much earlier. (laughs) And so you're in in London now, like what, what are you seeing as the major differences between the European startup scene and, and US? And if there is a gap, is it closing at all? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, maybe just start with the, the last question. Like, yes, I think the gap is closing very quickly. Um, and you know, the, I, I think the, so, so there was this, always this idea that like the, you know, that in Europe, um, you know, you weren't going to see as many interesting startups and yeah. people sort of like said this for a while, but, um, if you look at the data and we, we did, we did this whole analysis on our website, you know, the, the Bessemer like cloud I mean cloud in Europe analysis, what we found was like, basically, um, in Europe, the number of you know, the number of tech companies that are exiting uh, is growing. You know, the number of $10 billion plus companies that remain headquartered in Europe is growing. So like Adyen, um, companies like, uh, you know, Checkout, companies like uh, Spotify, right, or UiPath and others. And then um, we also found that there was this growing seed network. So, So in the past, there was always this challenge for European entrepreneurs that, they couldn't raise the local seed funding to get to that kind of traction point to then go to the U S and talk to okay. US investors. But now there's been a, over the last eight to 10 years, it's been a huge influx of seed funds. And we saw this explosion really over the last five years in particular, that was coming outside of London, Paris, and Berlin, which were like historically kind of the main three hubs where you would see a lot of activity. Yeah. So we're seeing activity in Dublin. We're seeing activity in you know, Malmo in Sweden, in Barcelona, in Spain, in Estonia, we've, we've seen a lot of exciting companies popping up in Tallinn, for example, like yeah. and Skype and many new companies. So, so yeah, it's like, I think there was a couple of things there that we saw that we saw like, look, this, you know, the capital gap is, is sort of, is sort of shortening. The talent gap is shortening because now you have second time founders and you have repeat entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, and, you know, you have these, a good exit environment, you, you know, companies can go public here. They may still choose to go to the U S but they may over time come, you know, hopefully we, we hope they're going to come here and, uh, and there's more offer, you know, there's more and more of these tech exits every year. So I think those things really kind of put together were, were what we were seeing as the, is the major sort of changes happening in Europe. And, and I see it every day. Like I see new seed funds. I see more second time founders. I yeah. see more companies that are talking about exiting or staying in Europe. So, I think we're definitely seeing that here in, in London. Good, good, good. Um, and you mentioned that Bessemer um, invests at all stages, but I want to focus a bit on the, the early stage. Um, what are you trying to see 
in, in a founder? Like, is it how much is based on the product versus the person? Yeah, it's a great question. I guess it depends how early, because if it's before the product even exists, then it's all, it's basically all the person. Uh, I'll make one like, you know, you know, not so subtle, you know, advertisement for the, for the investment that I'm really excited about, which is PAVE, uh, mm. the company that, uh, that we invested in, um, in the summer of last year. And I think just to give an example, like, I think part of the reason we were so excited to invest was when we met Matt and obviously I have known Matt for so long, um, you know, it was a combination of him and the market he was going after at the time when he, when he pitched me, actually, when I first met him, I was in like a sweet green and he was just right, literally like drawing stuff on a napkin, like, like the cliche, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't really have much yet, but, um, but I think what motivated me was, I think, you know, Matt is a really exciting founder. Um, he's, he's got an interesting technical background, but also a good ability to sell his product. And uh, the problem he was going after with compensation is a huge problem. Every single company in the world has compensation yeah. problems, right? And so I think for us, when we invest really early, it's, you know, it is, it's like PAVE is a great example of a company where like we're excited by the founder. And we also think the market is really big and potentially, you know, it's untapped by a lot of other competitors. So as you get, I'd say like, as you get later and later, so that's probably seed stage investing yeah. as you get to the series A, more and more of the data points that you look at are the product and how good the product is performing. So are people paying for it? How much are they paying for it? Do they come back? Right? Like these kind of basic questions, but you know, I'd say a lot of the focus, especially at the seed and series A is really on the, is really on the founder and the market. The market is important too. That I'd say yeah. like almost as equally important as the founder. And Matt is obviously extremely personable. Um, but have you ever come across an engineer, an engineering founder who wasn't necessarily able to, you know, step into sales mode and not necessarily around pitching for funding, but you think he's not going to be able to get this product out with an awful lot of help or he's just too in the code um, rather than bringing it to market? Has, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. And I think, um, you know, we, what, what we've been like surprised by time and time again is like how much people can grow um, in, yeah. in a short period of time. I think if you look at our investment memos, the ones that you were mentioning earlier, uh, there was a discussion around like, you know, the CEO of Shopify, like Toby, and like, I think he was an engineer. He wasn't really a business person. There was this question of like, will, will he be able to be the CEO yeah. of this company? Um, and, and he was, and he's done a you know, tremendous job, but I think that was a huge question mark. So it, okay. it certainly is a risk for, for investing in early stages, like how well will the founder transition into a CEO role? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would personally be willing to make the bet, um, on engineers moving into a CEO role, uh, because I've seen it happen before and I okay. think it's, it, it's doable. It just, it does require a little bit of extra kind of attention to the sales side. And sometimes we see that where there's like a co-founder who has more of a sales experience. And sometimes that's a good kind of mesh for those two, but okay. yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, I, I, I still think our focus is on investing in like the best product oriented people and, um, and helping them find ways to sell their product. And to, sometimes even maybe they, they build a product that's so good that they don't even need to really sell it that much because it's just kind of sells itself. And that's like even, even better. And if you don't think that that person can grow 
and that they will need an awful lot of help and input from your team. Is that a, a massive turnoff then? I think it just depends um, on the investment. Like if we're wildly excited about the product they're building, you know, we're wildly excited about the market they're in and we think they have the best product. Like I, I, you know, I, I would probably lean towards investing. I think that, okay. um, you know, like I said, I think people can improve over time and just have a candid conversation about where we think, you know, the areas are for opportunity, you know, improvement. Odds are, if this person's really bad at selling, they might be really good at building a product. And so yeah. they might be really great as a potential, you know, co-founder with the, with someone else to come in as well or something like that. So we, we don't do it often, but I have seen examples of times where like, you know, founders can, um, can step into different roles as part of their role and maybe bring in on, bring on a CEO. Again, it's okay. not really a, it's not really a thing we focus on doing that often, but it, ha it, yeah. it can, it can work in, in the past. In the, it has worked in the past, I think. And has uh, FOMO ever been a factor in a decision to invest? I feel like FOMO for us ends up being more of a, um, like a retrospective thing where, you know, we pass it around or we, we, we don't invest and we hear someone invested in it. And then we want to, you know, at least hear about what, what's going on with the company. <laughs> like if someone we respect is invested and in, we, we certainly want to know like what's going on there. Yeah. But um, I think, uh, you know, again, comes down to individual, individual investors, like some folks, on our team, I would say like really just could, could care less about what's going on with the markets and what's going on with the hype. You back yourselves to make the right decisions on the information that you guys have. Right. And other, and other folks like look at it as a more of a signal. So I think yeah, it's sort of up to you. It's, it is a little bit dangerous to play that game though, because sure. uh, you know, it's not a fundamentals game. It's kind of, a, you know, kind of, we're, we're relying on what other people think as opposed yeah. to what we think. So um, we try really hard to not get into it, but uh, FOMO is real. <laughs> it's a real part of this, 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 this game, I guess, of investing, right? And it, it does come, it does come up quite a bit. Yeah. And you mentioned London and, and Europe is a hotbed now for startups. What about if you flip it, um, for founders looking for investment, is it kind of a buyer's market now? Are US VCs very willing to, to make investments? Uh, and is there much competition then for those startups? Yes, absolutely. To all of your questions. I think it's, it's never been more, it's never been um, more competitive in terms of from our side. Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of folks coming into the, into the European market, us included, you know, we are one of the people coming in. Um, and then for founders, I think, uh, like I said, there's been a huge explosion of seed capital uh, in Europe, which means that, you know, founders can also turn to their local seed funds to raise capital and not have to rely on U.S. investors or, or large European funds. So um, there's just capital coming in, in so many different directions now that I think, you know, I think it's um, it's definitely a, a good time to be out there and, and fundraising as a you know, I don't know when you're going to publish this, but if the markets tank, like in a couple of months, <laughs> I, I might look back and regret saying yeah. that. But as, right now, as of, you know, March, it's 2021. It's, it's a pretty good time. And um, you mentioned earlier that your days are just full of Zoom calls. Um, did Bessemer have a policy, say, before the last 12 months of having to meet founders before a check is written? No, there was no policy, but okay. um, it was, it was like almost second nature is considered yeah, you know, obvious that we would meet them. 
Um, and we, you know, I really, I think we will continue to meet founders in person post COVID. Like, I think that's going to come back. I, I do, yeah. you know, it, it makes it a little easier to um, sort of just get to know founders by doing yeah. Zoom calls because you don't have to travel to wherever they're based. Um, but for the for the final kind of sprint when you really want to get to know them, um, I think, you know, I think we're going to go back. It's a human aspect. You're, you're getting into a pretty serious relationship. It's good to for both sides to, to meet everyone. Um, yeah. And just finally, before I let you go, what's your outlook for the next couple of years? Um, in, in general or <laughs> like, well, say for your European startup scene. Yeah, I think I'm, you know, we feel excited. I think we feel like, um, and I feel like this is just the beginning. I mean, it's, it's just the beginning for, for Europe, but also, you know, I think it's also this interesting change that's happened where like you can create value anywhere in the world now. It just doesn't yes. matter where you live. And that's like a pretty powerful idea. I mean, like Europe is great, but so is Africa, you know, so is the Middle East, like so is India. I mean, I just think that there's this whole COVID thing kind of accelerated that. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about what's going to happen in Europe because I think, you know, Europe has all the ecosystem in place to now enable people to start and create great companies and, uh, and, you know, people like Bessemer are, are kind of here physically in London. You know, we're excited to meet companies um, across Europe, like, you know, any, any kind of geography where we have no geographical limitations really whatsoever. So, um, yeah, please, you know, look forward to meeting more exciting companies in Europe and, uh, and, and growing this ecosystem as a whole over the next couple of years. Okay, Drew, it's been great having you on. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it.